Now, how many of you have seen this? Right? Raise your hands. Okay. If you don't have your hand up, you just saw it five minutes ago. I don't know where you've been. Well, very interesting in that something is happening across this country. And you may find this weird. You want to hear what it is? The baby Jesuses have been stolen. People are stealing baby Jesus from nativity scenes. Can you imagine stealing little baby Jesus? Right? Reference to Talladega Nights, if you haven't seen that movie. Very profound. There's a great scene in there. Ricky Bobby, and he's talking, he's praying to baby Jesus. Well, it's interesting. It's going on across the country that people are stealing the baby Jesus out of the manger. Go home when you leave here. If you don't believe me, just Google stolen baby Jesus. Now, the authorities say, for the most part, reading articles on this, Authorities say most of them are innocuous pranks. I mean, people like, there were five sorority sisters in Monmouth, Illinois, college students. And they took the baby Jesus from the town square. And you know what they did with the baby Jesus? Kind of cute, actually. They took the baby Jesus to the president of their college, his home. And they dumped it right on his front step. And then they left. It's not cute, okay? It's not cute. It's the, you know what I mean. I'm not saying taking the baby Jesus, but you know what I mean. And there are cases of this all across the country where people are doing this. Now, how about these individuals in another state? They posted their pictures on Facebook, posing with the baby Jesus, not the sharpest knives in the drawer. But people are doing this, and you know what? It begs the question, what is a church to do? What is a church to do? How do you combat this? Because there are many disheartened, disappointed people at this season in churches because the baby Jesus is not there. Well, I'll tell you what churches are doing. Churches are doing this. There's a picture of one to show you. This is what churches are actually doing. I am not making this up. There is a company out there called Brickhouse Security. Brickhouse Security, and this is what they do free of charge. They have GPS units that you can put in your baby Jesus. I'm not really, I'm being dead serious with you. How wild is it? Can you imagine this kind of scene? People going up there? Well, I'll tell you one, one church in New Jersey, right outside of New York City. Um, This is what one of the men there said. There's been no attempt of theft since we announced that we're tracking our Jesus. This is our third year, and we love this. People are now well aware of our GPS Jesus, so they leave it alone. They leave it alone. I bring that up this morning, though, because here's the theological question that I want to look at briefly. Is it worse To steal the baby Jesus or to keep baby Jesus right here safe and secure where you know exactly where he is and you can monitor him and you can track him. Friends, I want to ask you, which is actually worse? You know, you came in here this morning and you think you know the Christmas story. Oh, I know. I saw the, you know, I saw the drama. I understand about Joseph and Mary. I understand about the angels and the shepherds. I get the whole story. Well, let me tell you the real backdrop of the story is that there were people that wanted to steal the real Jesus 2,000 years ago. We don't talk about that a lot. You know what that was called? It was called 
the slaughter of the innocent. And Matthew puts it this way in Matthew 2.16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. You see, there was a king, and his name was Herod, and he was on the throne, and he was worried because there was somebody that rivaled or was going to rival his kingdom. And how could you not? I mean, all week as I've been studying this, how could you not think of the tragedy that took place last week? I look at something like this, and how horrific that event was, but take it to this event. I think sometimes, right, we think this is, oh, whatever, that that was 2,000 years ago. No, friends, this really happened. There were people that wanted to kill this baby. But we forget that. And we need to get the story right. And we need to understand that this little baby, and we love little babies and how cute they are, but we need to understand that this child would grow up one day. And this this child would become a man, and he would challenge the status quo in society. And he would usher in a kingdom, a revolution that wasn't about military might. It wasn't about financial means. His kingdom was about sacrifice. His kingdom was about servanthood. He was the ultimate egalitarian when it came to equality in society. He was the one that looked at the marginalized and the oppressed. And he said, oh, if you're a prostitute, oh, if you're on the outside excluded in society, there's room for you in my kingdom. This baby that you look at on the stage, this baby that you're here to worship today is dangerous. And he was dangerous to the establishment 2,000 years ago. But we want to come in and we want to talk about Jesus. Oh, I just want to kind of sit back and look at him and maybe admire him. Oh, he was, he was great. He was a good man. No, friends. There's so much more to this man. Uh, Life magazine, I saw this a few weeks ago. And I thought it was great. And I, I read the magazine cover to cover. This is what it was. Look at the cover with Jesus. Who do you say that I am? His words. And I ask us this morning, on December 23rd, 2012, I ask you, City on a Hill Community Church, who do you say that he is? Because paraphrasing C.S. Lewis, there's only two camps. There's only two. Either you say that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah and is the Lord of your life, or you look at him and say that he was crazy, that he wasn't the Messiah. There's no other way. There's no in-between. It's one or the other. He said what he said he was, he actually was, or he wasn't. There's no middle ground. And the world really does seem to get this. They do. I think they really get this. When you look at this story, but understand, Jesus doesn't want to be guarded. Jesus doesn't want to be protected. Jesus wants to be followed. He just wants to be followed, friends. Follow me, he's saying. And people, and when he walked the face of the earth, when his three-year ministry, when he was in the midst of it, people dropped their nets. People said, I will give up everything to follow you. He was so captivating. People said, I want a piece of that. And I want for the rest of this message, I want to ask you, and I want to challenge you. I don't think you came in expecting to really be challenged on this Christmas service, but you are. This is what I feel like God has put on my heart for us as a people. 
And I want to ask you, are you an admirer of Jesus or are you a follower? Are you a fan of Jesus or are you really a follower? You know, how many of you are familiar with these letters up there? Because this is kind of what I want to do. DTR, these letters strike fear in the hearts of men. The hearts of men. Men's hearts, will, they will be so afraid and scared when they are asked this question when they are in a relationship with somebody. Men, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You've been in a relationship and at some point... Usually the woman will sit you down and say, it is time to DTR. It is time to what? Define the relationship. Right? Come on. That's really what happens at some point. Hey, are we casual? Are we friends? Or are we really going to be serious here in this relationship? That's what we're talking about. I'll never forget when I was in high school and I was, you know, getting to know this girl. She was a lovely girl. But on our first date... She kind of brought up the DTR. And let me tell you, it ended with PDQ. That relationship ended pretty darn quick because I knew that it wasn't really going anywhere. And I ran for the hills when I was like, oh my gosh, this girl is bringing up the DTR on the first date. Crazy. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, this is the question for all of us. How will you define your relationship with Jesus? How do you define it, friends? And another problem we have is that we need to eradicate. When you hear that word follower, you're like, James, I've heard so many messages about being a follower of Jesus. I'm not talking about if you have three Bibles at home. I'm not talking about if you can come up with five synonyms for God when you pray. I'm not talking about whether or not your parents are Christians. I'm not talking about whether or not you come to church once in a while or you come once a week. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about what Jesus said and the guidelines he laid out for what it looks like to actually be a follower. Because somewhere along the lines, we've messed it up. The lines have been blurred. And we think what it really means to be a follower of Christ is not what Jesus meant for it to be. So I ask you, are you a fan or are you a follower? You know, the dictionary defines a fan as an enthusiastic admirer. An enthusiastic admirer. Like the fan, when you watch, I'll be watching football today. I'll be watching my team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'll be watching my football team. And I I went a couple of weeks ago. We go once a year down to Tampa. I love it. You go down there and you see those rabid, crazy fans I'm talking about the guy that has like no shirt on and the face pain and he's out of his mind and he's yelling and he's screaming. That guy's a real fan, right? But that guy, listen, that guy doesn't sweat. That guy's not out on the practice field. He's just a fan. But let me tell you, he could name all the stats of every guy on that team. He could tell you how many touchdowns they have, how many receiving yards they have. He could name all of that stuff. But you know what? He doesn't know the players, He thinks he knows them. He knows about them, but he doesn't know them. Oh, or it's the it's the girl. It's the girl that goes to the store and gets the People magazine. Right? It's right there. You go to your local, you know, stop and shop, and you get the the magazine. And who's I don't know? Maybe Kate Middleton's on the cover. Oh my gosh! I have to know everything about Kate Middleton. I know so much about her. I know when her birthday is. I know who her first boyfriend was. 
I even know the real color of her hair, even though that she probably forgot what the real color is. I know what it is. I know everything about her. That person's a fan, an admirer. That person's not a follower. You know, I laugh at Twitter. I don't tweet. I don't really get that. I don't really understand that. But I know many of you in here, you follow people. Yeah, I follow this person. Or, or I follow that person. Why do we call it really following? It kind of bothers me. You're an admirer of that person. When you follow, you're not a real follower. You, you don't know much about those individuals. You are an admirer. You're a fan. You're not a real follower. And so spiritually, that's what we need to clarify. Are you an admirer or are you really a follower? You know, I think about people from the past, from history. Dr. Martin Luther King. Oh, many people decided that they would march with Dr. Martin Luther King during the civil rights movement. Not many people went to jail with them. Mother Teresa, people, oh, they revere, they venerate Mother Teresa and all that she did in Calcutta. You know what? There weren't many people that said, I will pick up and uproot my life and live in the slums in Calcutta. Not many people did that. Friends, there is a huge difference between being an admirer of somebody and actually being a follower. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, this is how he put it. He said, what then is the difference between an admirer and a follower? A follower is or strives to be what he admires. Think about that. A follower is or strives to be what he admires. An admirer, however, keeps himself personally detached. He fails to see that what is admired involves a claim upon him, and thus he fails to be or strive to be what he admires. Oh, friends, there is a huge difference between the two. And the problem is, and I'd say the sad commentary on the church in general is, I would say many of our sanctuaries have really turned into stadiums. We have people that come to church and we cheer Jesus in everything that he did. And we look at the good book and we look at the Bible and we cheer him on. Yeah, and we love him. But are we really following him with our lives? Really, friends, are we really devoted followers? I'm not talking about upon your Facebook page when it talks about your religion that you say, I'm a Christian. You can be a Christian for many years and not even really be a follower. That's the scary part of this. And that's the scary part of preaching about this when you have to evaluate your own life and you have to see things in yourself. And I see things in myself and I say, you know what? I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be. I'm on the road, but I'm not where I want to be. And there's certain areas of my life where, you know what? I feel more like a fan than I do actually really following him. That's the truth of the matter. MSNBC had a, uh, a great study that they did recently. And I never heard about this before. How many of you are familiar with the new vegetarians? Did you ever hear that term before? None of you. Good. (laughs) New vegetarians. And this is what a new vegetarian is. This one woman's response sums everything up. She says, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like bacon. She She represents a growing number of people that are flexitarians. Because they're really flexible. Hey, if filet mignon is on the menu, I don't think I'm a vegetarian tonight. It all depends. They pick and choose. And I laughed when I read this because I said, that's kind of what we do as Christians. Don't we kind of pick and choose at times what we want to follow, what we don't want to follow? Oh, it's cool to admire Jesus, 
but hey, Jesus, don't interfere with my life. There are certain things that I have certain doctrinal theological boundaries. I have a box, and if you violate that, whoa, Jesus, don't ask me to give up too much of my time. Don't ask me to give up my money. Don't touch that because, oh, I work really hard for that. Don't ask me to forgive that person. Don't ask me to go out of my way for that person. That's not who I am, but I'll come to church, and I'll sit here, and I'll listen to the sermon. I'll sing some songs. That's fine, but don't intrude on my life. I'm an admirer. I'm a fan. I don't want to be a follower. Don't push me over the line. I want to control my life and what I want to do. Are you an admirer or are you a follower? And we pick and choose and the churches are full of fans. But when I look at what Jesus says in the Gospels, when I look at we follow all these other people, when you look at the Bible, you look at the red letters, that's what Jesus has tweeted to us. That's what we should be studying and that's what we should be following. And I don't find in the Gospels, I don't find anywhere where Jesus says, you should be an enthusiastic admirer of me. He says, no, sacrifice, give up all and follow me because it'll be the greatest ride of your life and you'll never regret it. Because that's what you were created for. That's what he says. And very briefly, I want to talk about one of those people in the Bible. Oh, I've had so much fun looking at his story. And his name is Nicodemus. And I'm only giving you three brief snapshots. Because I want to show you through this character what God can do to people like us, what God can do in and through us, what God promises in his word, that we can start out as being fans, we can start out being admirers, but as we move on, that we really can be fully devoted followers. And it starts out, his story starts out in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and I'm only giving you little tidbits here. I'm not going through great detail in these, in these three snapshots. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So who is this guy, Nicodemus? He's part of what is known as the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish ruling council. There are 72 individuals. This guy is a man of affluence. This guy is a man of influence. He is somebody that people respect. He is a leader in the Jewish community. And here he is, we see in the story, he comes to Jesus by night. This is not a guy that people would, that had such respect for him. If you were playing Bible Trivial Pursuit with him, you would lose. If you were playing Godopoly, you were not going to win. You would lose. This guy knew everything. He is revered. People venerate him. They respect him. They defer to him. And here he is, he has watched Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. He's watched him. He has watched him teach. He has watched his miracles. And he's captured by something in this Jesus. Where the rest, many of the other people, the Jewish ruling council, they are denigrating Jesus. They are criticizing Jesus, Jesus and they're trying to get rid of him. Here is a man that comes at night. Friends, I ask you, why do you think this character came at night? Why didn't he come during the day? There were numerous opportunities in Jesus' ministry that he could have come during the day and he could have asked him questions. I'll tell you why. Because he was afraid of what his friends thought. He was afraid of what it could do to his reputation because if he was seen in the day with this Jesus, this rabbi, 
his reputation would have been marred and tarnished. Nobody would have talked to him. For him to meet with this man in the light of day was social, political suicide. And here he comes in the darkness of night, this little clandestine meeting that he has with Jesus, and he's asking questions. He's an admirer. He's not a follower yet. He's an admirer. He respects Jesus, and he's asking these questions, and he's along on the journey. He's on his way to ultimately worshiping at the feet of this one, Jesus Christ. And I I have to think, too, what it must have been like, how hard it would have been for him to really hide in going to meet with Jesus, what was it like? Did he, in going incognito, did he have to put clothes on? How did he hide his real identity? It's a real person. He really met with Jesus. What was that like in that moment as he went there and tried to meet with him? And then you move on in the story. How about in John chapter 7? It's the second time we see Nicodemus. So you see him in chapter 3. Now you see him in chapter 7, 50 to 52. Nicodemus He who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them. Now he's talking to, this is, let me me stop right here. This is the Pharisees are coming. They're trying to indict Jesus. They're trying to accuse him of being a false teacher. They're trying to drum up charges against him. Anything that they can do to try to stop him. He's gaining all this notoriety, all of the attention, all of the focus on them is waning. Nobody's talking about the Pharisees, and they're trying to stop him. And there is this man, Nicodemus. He's part of the Sanhedrin. His heart is racing. His mind is thinking, can I actually say something? Will he stand up and back this one Jesus Christ? And so getting back to this, Jesus, he came to, uh, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. That phrase in the Greek, when it says there, Are you also from Galilee? They're, really, they're, making, they're poking fun. Are you kidding me? You're siding with this Jesus? He goes from the night to the light, because now in the light of day, he's willing. He's not totally there yet, but you're seeing a progression in the relationship where he admires Jesus, and he's willing to actually stand up and say something about who he thinks Jesus is. We don't have any more, the details, that we, they're scant. We don't have much there, but you know and can see that something is happening. There is a progression. No idea what that was. It's not part of the sermon. Then you move to the last part. This is the the best part, and I think we miss this. This is the final part of Nicodemus' story, who starts out in chapter 3 as just somebody that's an admirer, somebody who's just a fan. Jesus Christ is on the cross. He is on the hill at Golgotha. He's being punished. He's being executed. Where are all of his followers? Where are his disciples? They are gone. They're scattered all over the place. But who is there on that hill at Golgotha? A man that is part of the Jewish ruling council. Yes, Nicodemus. This is what the text tells us in John 19, 38 to 40. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. 
about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Custom in that day in ancient Israel was they didn't embalm. So what they would do is to stave off the stench of death. They would use these spices to try to overcome that, to try to stave that off. So here is a man. Can you imagine what this must have looked like? A man that has started out in the night and is now in the daylight who is taking 100 pounds of these spices, which I, may, which I should add and tell you, you know how much that would be worth in our society today? Between $150,000 and $200,000. That's how much this man has a lot of money, but he's willing to sacrifice. I don't care. I'm willing to sacrifice it all and be seen and be identified with this Jesus Christ. The man who started out in the night is now worshiping in the light. The man who started out as an admirer, the man who started out as a fan, is now a fully devoted follower of Jesus and doesn't care about his reputation. He doesn't care about what people think. All he cares about is knowing this Jesus and worshiping at the foot of the cross. Oh, friends, what a story. So I ask you, you've come here for this Christmas service. I ask you, how, how could you not give everything? I'm not even ask you, just say it. How could you not give everything for this one Jesus? Is he not worth it all? All of our time, everything that we are. And I know, I, I know this is a heavy message. I know a lot of you, this is, I just wanted to laugh today. I just wanted to come in, sorry. It's not the gospel. This is the gospel. What I just preached to you, this is the gospel. He doesn't, God is looking for people in this day, in this hour, that are going to be holy and devoted. And I don't want you to beat yourself up, though. If you're somebody that says, wow, I am so far from being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That is just not me. Well, you know what? Don't beat yourself up. You're on the road, just like Nicodemus was. You have to start somewhere and believe and trust him. And as you come to the table this morning, I want you to just be open and honest and vulnerable and transparent with God about where you really are on that road. But I can tell you, listen, there's the wide road and there's the narrow road. There's no third road. There's the house that's built on sand and there's the house that's built on rock. There is no third house. There is no third option. It's either you're an admirer or you are a follower. And I ask you, will you in this coming year, will you start as you leave this place, will that be your prayer that God, I want want to know you more. I want to be a fully devoted follower of you. I want to sacrifice. I want to give up all, Lord. I want you to live in me and through me. Lord, have your being in me. Will that be your prayer? Because that's what Jesus asks for. He's not asking for you to be a fan. He's not going to say to you, wow, well done. You were a great fan. I applaud you. Do not confuse the two. Admiring is not the same as devotion. It looks so different. I don't care how long you have known God, you need to search your heart and see where you are at with him in this time, in this day, in this hour. I mean, look at everything that's going on out there in the world. Everywhere I go this whole past week, everybody out there, I'm, I'm telling my mom last night, everybody wants to buy guns. 
people are saying society is just ready to unravel. And I sit there and I'm like, well, where are you going to turn? Where are you going to go? What are people putting their hope in? A gun? I don't know about you, but I'm going to put my hope in Jesus. I don't know about you, but 2013 is going to be a year that I get to know him better. We have no choice. Look at everything that's going on around us. Wake up, church. Wake up. There is more to this life. You were created for more. We were created for more. Enough of being admirers. Enough of being fans of Jesus. Let's lay our lives down as a church. Aren't you sick of it? Aren't you sick of just going through the motions? Doesn't it get old just walking in? Yeah, I'm here for the Christmas service. That was good. Yeah, the drama was good. Doesn't it get old? It gets old for me. It's real old. Jesus promises to all who come to him. He says, I'm living water. He's the bread of life. Come to me, all ye. Who, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, if you're thirsty, you're hungry. He says, come to me. You'll find real life and have it to the full. What else in this world can give us that? As you open up presents and you look at those presents and our kids open up presents, yeah, that's great and it's wonderful. Don't miss the real reason that you're here this morning. It's about him. It's not about the gifts. It's not about all the trappings. It's about Jesus Christ and it's been so lost and I know we're up against it in this culture. We are. Every single day we're bombarded with the message. Eat this, wear this, do this, look like this. And it's so antithetical to the message of the gospel. Friends, I'm asking you, and this is a strong challenge. I've never given a strong challenge like this at a holiday service. But you know what? I'm making no apologies and no excuse. This is the message that we need to hear. I know that. I feel it in my heart, in my bones. And that's the challenge for you as you leave this place. It wasn't tough coming in here this morning. That's the challenge. Wide road versus the narrow road. I shudder to think how many people, I shudder to think how many people think they're so close to God. And they're really not. I'm good with God. I know God. Examine your heart. That's only you can do. I look at mine and I see junk. We just want to give that to you this morning. Lord, we want to give you who we are. Lord, we're all over the place and where we're at in this journey in life. Lord, and for all of us, I speak for myself first. There are places in my heart, Lord, I'm just a fan and I'm applauding. Lord, I don't want to sit in the stands and just applaud and look at what you did and, and just sit there, you know, and be amazed. Lord, I want to actually get in the game. I want to get dirty, Lord. It comes in my prayer life comes to every part of my life, Lord. I just want to give it to you. Lord, help us as only you can do. Lord, we're powerless to really. You have to live through us, Father. I want to be like Nicodemus. I want to give up religion for a relationship. Lord, I pray that over this church right now, that we wouldn't be people that go through the motions and do the duties and just come in and out of church. Lord, that you would strike up something, a fire inside of us, ignite a fire inside of us for more of you more passion more passion inside of us for you that we would immerse ourselves in your word instead of just carrying on and not even thinking about you
We would think about our time and we would think about our finances and we would really evaluate, are we really putting you first in our lives? Lord, so many things are clamoring, fighting for, to, be, to be on the throne, Lord. You are the one that should be on the throne. Lord, have your way in this place. Lord, I feel a tiny piece of the pain that you feel as a preacher. A tiny piece. I can't imagine what it's like to be you. The pain. Do something in our midst, Lord, in our hearts. Lord, I know everyone in here really does love you. Lord, I thank you that they came here today, but there's more. That's what I want people to leave, but there's more. Wherever we're at, there's more, Father. Give it to us. Give it to us. Amen. Ushers.